Welcome to the Inside Aesthetics podcast. We host real conversations with real experts from around the world. Away from the filtered bubble of social media, our aim is to educate listeners and explore any topic in the cosmetic and wellness space. We also get a unique insight into the business minds of the entrepreneurs and pioneers who have helped shape our industry. This podcast and its related publications provide news and general information about procedures and products. You should seek professional medical advice and assessment before considering any treatment. Our guest today is Terry Vinson, a cosmetic chemist and the founder and owner of Synergy Skin, based in Melbourne, Australia. Terry completed her Bachelor of Science degree at Monash University, specialising in immunology and microbiology. She also attained an additional postgraduate diploma of formulating chemistry and a diploma of education in biology and senior science. Terry holds professional memberships with the Australian Society of Cosmetic Chemists, Vogue Cosmetic Advisory Board, and the Australian Academy of Cosmetic Dermal Science. In this episode, we discuss business in Melbourne post the COVID-19 lockdown, an introductory discussion into the world of skincare formulating, as well as some insights into Terry's entrepreneurial journey and her exciting new book called Skin Formation. You look amazing. Where are you? I'm at my new premises in Springvale. So Fantastic. We're just, uh, it's very grown up. So Terry, last time that we saw you, we were at um, yeah. was it Cosmeticon in Double Bay and we yes, came and we met were. you and we saw your, your amazing stand and we met you your amazing husband, we looked at your products and we thought, wow, we've got to get you on the podcast. And then uh, COVID hit and um, everyone's life fell apart. What's been happening <laughs> for you since time. then? How, how did you survive? <laughs> oh, I think that was the last time that life was had a semi-normal atmosphere to it. Um, yeah. Yeah, everything everything changed after that. And I remember um, Michelle Carney, who is the organiser of Cosmeticon, she said this might be the last conference we do this year and she was dead right. Everything changed. <laughs> Yeah, so absolutely. Yeah. What 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 has Melbourne been like? I mean, you know, we hear the stories. I've spoken to a few people, but obviously, you're a big business owner. It's must have been a lot more acute. So, just sort of walk us through and tell our listeners what it's been like in in Melbourne. Well, it's been a roller coaster, and I think the main problem we've had with Melbourne in terms of, of the atmosphere is the total uncertainty. Um, I mean, I'll just give you an example. Uh, my uh, Alan and I walked down Chapel Street a few weeks ago during the middle of lockdown and in three blocks, 90 shops have closed permanently, never to reopen, 90 in three wow. blocks. I, I, I was brought to tears and it's, um, you know, some of us have been more fortunate than others depending on our business models, but, um, you know, my heart goes out to so many people in the hospitality industry and also in in the health and beauty industry. It's um it's just been really difficult. We've we've had one minute, you know, we don't know whether we're going to be locked down for longer. Uh, the, the the rules change from one minute to the next. Um, mm. It's been difficult. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm guessing um having an online business has been very helpful for you during that period of time. I mean, having no borders, I guess, in in some respects, and obviously being able to service the rest of Australia is something that's probably been unique in terms of being able to circumvent the challenges of not being able to get out and about and access your customers all around the world. Do you access, do you send your products internationally as well as just in Australia? Yes, David, over over sixty percent of my business is now global, which is um which is really exciting. But it that presented its own challenges during COVID mm. with, with export and shipping. Um, but I think one of the biggest things for, for Synergy was um 
when we were able to make sanitizers so quickly. And I think obviously having the benefits of having a, a, a manufacturing facility in Melbourne, we were actually originally making it for my Hong Kong client because the pandemic hit Hong Kong before it hit Australia. So right. I was already making the sanitizer in hundreds of litre quantities for them. And then when it hit Australia, it was like, bam, I, I, I actually stopped sending overseas and just uh, focused on Australia because we really needed it. And then I had the surety to tell my team that we're an essential service um, and as well as making the sanitizer, we were still making making our other products, which was very fortunate. It seems like a long time ago, but it, it really was probably just a few months. I remember you and I, Terry, we were WhatsApping and I was trying to source alcohol to get to Melbourne <gasps> so you could make, you know, your, your sterilizer. And <sighs> I remember being in conversations with people yeah. about getting masks here from all sorts of countries. It was a crazy, crazy time. So how did you sort of get your supplies and, and, and what, the, what were the channels available during those difficult times? Oh, Jake, there was an entire weekend from about seven in the morning on the Saturday to nine at night on the Sunday where I was securing a supply of ethanol. Yes. And I ended up uh, getting it from um, New South Wales, a mm -hmm. huge uh, manufacturer, but they were all um, being sold out within minutes. Um, we couldn't access it um, overseas, and my preference is to always access all my ingredients from Australia anyway, but I, uh, my, my partner, Alan, um, was in the military or still is in the military and was able to get me a contact um, in, in Australia. So I was very fortunate. I had, I had supply from the very beginning, yeah. So it wasn't easy. Everything was crazy. Yeah, and thank you again for yeah. sending me that beautiful box. You did send me a, a supply so I could use it, and um, I really appreciate that because honestly, it was impossible to get hold of. It really was. My pleasure. Yeah, and um, and we just found that for everybody, um, we were we were sending it all over Australia, uh, and it was crazy. And then, but funnily enough, then everything came on board a few weeks later with the international supplies. So um, the Australian-made uh, sanitizer wasn't as popular, which is such a shame mm. for Australian manufacturing. I'm a very passionate Australian manufacturer, and I think that we need to keep it in, in Aussie land. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was curious, you know, we've got these amazing uh, stimulus packages um, from the government uh, to sort of keep things afloat and keep people employed and mm. allowing companies to, uh, you know, uh, keep offering jobs to their staff. That sort of seems to be all ending, I think, in March next year. How do you think that's going? I know I'm asking you to crystal ball gaze a little bit, but how do you think that's going to go? Um, do you think that once those things are sort of get pulled away, we're going to be in a bit of trouble? Or do you think that the confidence is sort of there and people are just keen to get out there and get on with their businesses and their lives again? I do think the confidence is is building and I think, you know, looking at our um, at the ASX in the last few days, I think the confidence with the vaccine coming on board um, and the borders opening has, has injected a lot of confidence in the economy, which is great, but I still think we've got a long road ahead um, and I think small business is still suffering greatly and we need to inject a lot into small business in Australia to get it back on board. Talking about injecting, <laughs> what's the what's the mood like now? Things are open. I mean, here for at least a month or two, there was almost a fever pitch of excitement about people getting their injectables and you know cosmetic treatments and stuff. But what's it been like there since you've opened a few weeks ago? 
in Victoria, it's been quite tentative because we had a staggered um, reintroduction of treatments and unfortunately many of our wonderful beauty therapists could only do waxing, manicures and pedicures because the clients had to wear masks. It's a bit yeah. hard doing a facial when they're wearing yeah. a mask, so that was difficult. Um, they're, they're, I, I feel that the clients are still tentative in making bookings and mm. my BBNs yeah. um, in Victoria said that they're making last-minute bookings because still nervous about things changing so retail's been going crazy so the, the client our stockers have been selling retail like they're going out of style which is fantastic for them <laughs> but the but the actual treatments have been slow in victoria i think yeah i was um curious uh, any sort of feedback or uh, i guess anecdotal evidence around people's skin during this period with all the stress and probably lack of sleep and so on did you notice any sort of you know, data coming out of that in terms of how people were coping in their skin? Yes, Or maybe definitely. they're getting more sleep. Uh, well, they're, mm. probably, they're probably getting a bit of sleep, but it's probably not enough deep sleep, and that's another topic yeah. again. But, um, yeah. but I think there's been the, the cortisol levels in everybody, and that's with uncertainty. That has a direct effect on testosterone. Testosterone yep. affects the oil gland, and this is where everybody, men and women, are getting those unexpected zits that they never had. Mm. Couple that with mask wearing and the and the, and the typical mask knee syndrome that we're experiencing. Um, we've had a lot of clients looking for treatments, looking for LED treatments, um, treatments that will calm their skin down, ingredients that will be calming their skin and, and light, light treatments rather than the aggressive peels at the moment because of this. Uh, and we've even seen dermatologists talking about mask, mask wearing syndrome. Uh, it's very interesting. I actually saw um, a product the other day that was like a lint mask that goes under the mask. Have you ever seen any of those to sort of help the mask knee? Yes, and um, and there is, and, and I've actually been even thinking about um, looking at impregnating some ingredients into the mask. I'm, uh-huh. I'm, uh, I've, I've, I've um, created a, a product uh, about a year ago with pre and probiotics, and what it's doing is actually ruining the microbiome on our skin with this unusually humid environment with the, all mm. the CO2 floating around. So if you can re-establish the microbiome on the skin, that'll go a long way towards addressing the mask issues. So, yeah. That's interesting, yeah. <laughs> I've not seen so anything gonna... like that. You could, that could be a world first. Mm, you heard it first from me. <laughs> <laughs> On Inside Aesthetics <laughs> exclusive. <laughs> so, um, moving, I guess, a little bit away from COVID and talking more more about you. So, you've you're got a background in immunology and microbiology. Um, what was that with your initial career plan? Or how, I'm just trying to get an understanding of like how you've gotten to where you've gotten to because you've got quite a you know, amazing background. How, what, was, what was the career path? How did you sort of plan it all out? Yeah, look, I, I think from the start I had an absolute passion for science. I had the most incredible biology teacher at, at school. I had a dad that believed that women could do science in, in the 1970s when it wasn't as popular, um, but I was always a bit of a beauty tragic uh, in my <laughs> uni days. So I kind of um, never thought I'd be able to morph the two. So I, um, I ended up loving my science degree, going on to doing another year afterwards in science teaching but realised teaching wasn't for me. Um, And so it was more of a gradual process. Uh, When I was a young mum, I started working for um, a skincare company, 
in education and formulations and realised that that was my passion and I was able to basically synergise my love of science with my love of beauty, uh, then went on to doing a postgrad in formulating chemistry and uh, and then began formulating my own range. So um, it was it was kind of a, an organic evolution, if you like, but um, it's come full circle and I'm doing, I'm waking up every morning and loving what I do. <laughs> Terry, I was flicking through your book that you sent me yesterday. I, I, it's not actually coming up on the see camera. It's being I don't know why. In your IA <laughs> background. My fake background is not allowing you to see the book, but I'm holding it up. Um, and I was sort of flicking through the preface. I'm sorry, I haven't had a chance to read it all in one light. It was interesting. You, were, you, I think you said that when you were first first graduated, you were making essential oils and sort of selling them to mums at the school fete, and you know you started obviously you know pretty pretty small. And then you opened a little clinic. So just tell us about that. Oh, well, I um, I started a little clinic, gosh, over 15 years ago in Camberwell. And my job was I was I started formulating my range then, but I was also the consultant. And I loved it because it was doing all my R&D with these wonderful people and, and building a range, and it started getting a bit of a cult following. And um, the GFC hit not long after, and people stopped having the treatments. The cheap hair removal places came in, so nobody was getting hair removal at my little clinic. And But people were still buying the skin hair, and it was a real aha moment for me. It's like, well, I can formulate. I'm not an injector, certainly not skilled in that area. I'm not a beauty therapist, but I, I'm a scientist. So the minute I had that aha moment, I basically sold everything, gave my database away, found a small manufacturing facility in Burwood, and everything went north from there, realising I was doing what I was meant to do and what I was skilled at. And incidentally, the, the, um, the little clinic was called Skin Formation. And yes, the right. name of my book. <laughs> which is the name yeah. of your book. I'm paying homage to where it started. <laughs> right. Yeah. I was going to ask you a quick question because I, in, in terms of immunology, I know we're sort of going a little bit off pace from just your background, mm. but I was going to ask about the immune system and how does that affect your skin and how we age? Absolutely. The immune system has a huge impact on, on how we do age and there is the immune um, theory of ageing. And if our immune system is weak or compromised, um, we're unable to fight disease particularly, and we're talking skin cancer, if we've got a compromised immune system and our Langerhan cells aren't working correctly, we, we have minimal ability to defend ourselves. So our immune system is literally our first internal line of defence for skin health and protection. Um, it's fundamental. Am I right in saying, I think Davin Lim said on our podcast, that things like rosacea and acne, they're actually a skin barrier problem. Absolutely. Right. And if you need to protect the barrier. And I think the two things, and I always say the two Bs of barrier protection are vitamin B, niacinamide B3, and the biome. So if we don't have our bacteria balance, it's almost as important as gut balance on our skin, and we don't have our barrier um, defended with, with ingredients like vitamin B3, we're really fighting a battle. Um, mm. It's a first line of defence, absolutely. Terry, for the listeners who, um, you know, maybe abroad, we've got lots of people in America and the UK, et cetera. Um, can you just explain to them your, your background as a formulating chemist? I mean, what, what does that involve? What, what is that? And, you know, how does it sort of join with skin or why did you blend the two? 
Well, it's uh, well. Obviously, my my degree began with human biology, immunology, and microbiology. So there was no formulating chemistry when I did my uni degree, and we're mm. talking back in the eighties. There was nothing back then. So it wasn't until um, till much later that these formulating chemistry courses began, um, and it really isn't. And I think a lot of this. There's, there's either a concept developer out there or a true formulating chemist. And there's a place for both, but concept developers are more like marketing. They've heard of a great ingredient and they'll go to a compounding chemist and say, can you put this together? Mm. But somebody like me understands every element of that from the preservative, the thickener, the emulsifier. There's all those excipient ingredients and you, you have to put them together in the right balance and then you've got your actives. And that's when you have to understand the biology of cells mm-hmm. and the chemistry of of the body so it's really a mixing chemistry biology and physics um in in a formulating chemistry background okay wow sounds very very complicated um (laughs) (laughs) it's not really but it's just what i love (laughs) (laughs) for lay people like me it sounds very complicated um but when you're looking to start a new product how do you how do you get going where do you how do you i'm trying to understand what your process is so you work out you want to make a moisturizer or or whatever the case may be how do you go about getting the ball rolling and just take us through that process if you can well there'll be inspiration from various sources it might be from a customer and or a need there's usually a need in the market or a gap in the market that i see um for example, um, I knew that I had to create years ago the uh, the products for to support the microbiome. Um, so you'd start saying, okay, do I need this in a format of a serum, which is a, which is a which is usually a water based system, or do I need this in the vehicle of a moisturizer, which is an emulsion, an oil and water mixture? So you figure out which which vehicle you want to support the ingredients in. Then you work backwards from there. Um, every emulsion has a certain number of ingredients at certain percentages, uh, we figure out the fragrances, we figure out all the balance. So it usually starts with the actives, what actives I want, the market I'm aiming towards, and then I figure out the vehicle I'm supporting it in from there. In a, that's in a sort of a very basic way of describing it. Mm. And what kind of happens in the lab? I mean, literally, you've got pots of actives <laughs> and pots of, uh, you know, bases, and I, I don't even know what I'm talking about now, but uh, you just try and you just... Yeah, well, it's, it's, um, it is, look, there is an element of trial and error, but we've been doing this for a number of years now, so we've got a, a formula, if you like, of, of things that we know work. Yeah. Uh, we, we start with small-scale manufacturing, literally in tiny little vessels, um, and that's when we do our tests. We put them into stability testing, and thankfully, with our um, microbiology background and mine at Synergy were able to do our own uh, preservative testing Mm. and the testing takes months and months. We won't even release it uh, for almost nine months now until we've done all the testing and we we tested on numerous people, the team members, their their family members. All the ingredients are already pre-tested but when we put them together in a product, we also need to test the the efficacy and safety of that. Um, So it's a a process. It's a huge process. There's lots of emulsifiers and serum mixes and pH mixes and thickener, thickening detectors or viscometers. So we've got lots of toys. You'd love it. You should come. <laughs> We'd love to come. We'd love to. So no, your staff have to sign uh, 
So does your, your staff have to start, is that part of the employment agreement, a disclosure that you were able to experiment on them with products? And, <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, we don't test on animals with synergy. We only test on our team. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> oh, and my kids, and my kids. They were my right. early guinea pigs. <laughs> They're all grown up now and they run away from me. <laughs> <laughs> and here in Australia, we've obviously got um, the Therapeutic um, Goods Administration, the TGA. Yes. So yes. they sort of govern, I guess, uh, what's on the market and what products are available. Is that correct? Absolutely. So, um, it, so yeah. how do you interact with them with your new products? What, what's the process from a business perspective? Well, firstly, you have to, um, when you're using an ingredient, an active ingredient, you do have to check the levels and you have to check um, uh what the um what the rules are with the TGA yeah um and also with with um with um there are many governing bodies that you have to check with um so you look up that ingredient you have to work with those within those parameters and if you are going into the realm of schedule four um there, there needs to be other means where you enter that market um and that's something we're looking at at the moment as well um there are many ingredients that are scheduled uh but we work within at the moment within cosmeceuticals which aren't yet s4s or what, yeah. which aren't s4s i should say and are very safe to use in skincare so an S4 is a prescribable drug just for exactly. people listening. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So so for example, retinoic acid, I can't formulate that in my lab because it's a schedule four. Right. I've got form of vitamin A, but I can use retinone and hydroxypenacolone retinoate as my choice of vitamin A. Well, what about okay. if you weren't selling direct to customer? You, if you had a doctor sort of owned clinic, would that change things? No, um, it, you cannot make a schedule four formulation um, unless you have that TGA license, right, and that okay. is and that is very arduous. Um, but uh, it is it's a long journey to get there. Uh, something that I'm considering at the moment. Mm. And. What would the, I know I'm sort of asking you how long is a piece of string, but just roughly um, in terms of time from conceptualization to have a product on the shelf, what would that sort of take and what would it cost to develop a product? I'm always curious as to what it costs to actually develop all these products or just just a single product. Oh, well... It depends. This is very, very different. But I, I would say <laughs> back in the early days, but before we got ISO accreditation, um, yep. in the very, very early days, we could get it to market a bit, a bit um, in a much shorter time span. But now we're we're selling globally. It's a minimum of nine months with all the testing. Um, so you have to factor in salaries, my lab manager, and all the supporting team, my marketing managers, uh-huh. um, the ingredients, the machinery. So I would say one single product will be well in excess just to get it to market, well in excess of $100,000 for one wow. product. Wow. Um, but, uh, but you 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 know, you have to make sure that that product's going to stand up and and you have to do your due diligence before release. And there's been many products that, that I've loved the idea of, but when we've done our due diligence and realised that the market may be too small, um, we were going to do a spray for dermatitis and, and um, we realised the market was too small and we'd spend too much money on, on just a small niche. I'd still like to do it, watch this space, but but it wasn't, it wasn't viable at the time. And this is a few years ago now. Fair yeah. Um, so, Terry, we've done quite a few skin podcasts probably in the last few months, which is great. But tell us about your brand, Synergy Skin. I mean, what is its sort of overarching message? Who is it for? And what's within the brand itself? Wow. Well, it started um, 
for me as a, as, as, a, as a mother and a scientist sitting in a cafe waiting for my little girl at the time to come out of a, a movie. <laughs> and I thought, you know, what can I offer? What can I offer as, as, as a formulator? And I thought, I'm a woman. I understand the needs of women and, and not just women, actually. I think I understand quite a few men now. Um, <laughs> and, and I think I, as an Australian, I can, I can really understand the needs of Aussies. Um, I think we're transparent. In Australia, we, we don't hide behind um, cloaks and daggers. We, we know what we, we, we're happy to share what we do. Um, and also being vertically integrated, I think, having synergy all under the one roof in, in Melbourne where I've got complete control over the quality and I don't have to outsource from overseas. So I think that being nimble, being able to react to the market faster than the great big global monolithic companies. But I yeah. think for me, clean science has been the thing that's underpinned synergy um, having the, the synergy of science and nature together in the one product. So you've got the evidence-based ingredients and the safety and efficacy profile and the, the naturally derived ingredients. Nothing's natural, by the way. The minute you've processed it in a lab, it's no longer <laughs> completely natural. I don't like the word 100% natural. Well, it's funny what how patients pay? pick and choose when they yeah. decide something's natural and when it's not. Yes. Yeah. And, Particularly and when it comes to injectables. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, and the other thing is, it's the whole clean beauty movement. I, I look. I think there's, it's huge at the moment, clean beauty. But we, I, I'd like to say I'm different to clean beauty. I'm not a fear monger. I don't believe that putting a product with a paraben preservative in it is going to kill you. It is not. What I do is I weigh up all the evidence and I say if an ingredient has anything questionable, I will look for an alternative. Hmm. Um, for example, they've discovered oxybenzone, the chemical sunscreen, is causing coral bleaching. That is now banned in many countries. Um, and I was banging on about physical sunscreen for years. So there are ingredients we ultimately find aren't suitable. So I'm always at the forefront looking for those ingredients that I choose not to include. But it's not mm. fear-mongering. I was curious. You've, you've built such a, an amazing brand and you've obviously got a whole team of people behind you. But um, in terms of starting a business, it's very expensive. So how did you sort of come about, you know, gathering all those funds together to be able to actually start from scratch? Was it just a process of starting small and gradually step by step? Or how, how, did, that all, how did that all happen for you? Very organic, um, very slow. Um, I was the um, the formulator, the accountant, the graphic designer, <laughs> the BDM. I used to carry my little bag to anywhere that would see me with with my, the products I made. I've, I've got no shame in that. In fact, it taught me so much. Um, I started very very small. Um, I actually wasn't scared. I, I just I felt that I, I was going to make some sort of a mark in the world in terms of, of cosmeceuticals. So I, I just, and I, and I had my running away money. I had $40,000 saved um, <laughs> from, from various things, from, from working and, and, and um, creating small products for, for, for groups of people. And, and I, had, I had the money saved. So I, I opened the clinic in Campbell, renovated that and put everything, every single cent I made back into the business. Um, yeah. So I, it was just a long, a long haul, but so worth it. And there were so many positive things throughout those yeah. years. Yeah, I think um, I think a lot of people love the idea of having their own business and and being successful and entrepreneur. But I think that um, there is probably a bit of a consensus um, out there in the wider in the wider community that you know to do those sorts of things, you have to take risks. You have to put yourself on the line. You have to believe in yourself and your product, and, and be passionate about what you do. And I think. A lot of people are so focused on chasing the money and 
it's sort of like putting the cart before the horse. It's sort of like find something that you're passionate about, that you love doing, that you can get up every day with passion and enthusiasm. It never feels like a job, which is what you described. And the money will come. The, the like money follows success. And I think that's something that's a barrier that a lot of people don't understand is you have to be prepared to put it all on the line and follow your passion. Would oh, you you're just giving me you're giving me goosebumps because that's exactly what I believe. And and I people, the faster you chase money, the harder you chase money, the faster it runs runs away from you. And I've never really been chasing the dollar. It's all been a passion and a fantastically wonderful ride. Um, you know, a couple of times I've I've made the wrong decision. I've made some clangers of mistakes. But you know what? <laughs> they've been my best friends, and they're the ones. They're the the, the, the mistakes are the things that teach you to be better. Yeah. What do they say? You, you win or you learn. There's no yes, losing. You either win exactly. or you learn from your mistakes. Exactly. I remember when I started out, a really good friend of mine. Um, I, I know she she watches the podcast, Lisa Price from from Jade. She was she was <laughs> one of the people that gave me confidence to take my products to the wider market. And I had it in my little clinic in, in skin formation. She said, "I want your products," and I said, oh, "Lisa, I don't know anything about packaging. You know, I just sell it here." No, no, I believe in you. I want your products, and 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 it was. I took days to decide whether I I. I take them give them to her for her clinic and I thought you know what do it and it was that moment you know just what can what what's the worst thing that can happen and I think yeah. if I hadn't have made that move I don't think synergy would have been where it is today so it's those little fork in the road moments where you say yes yeah. and you've just got to say yes to those things in you that niggle it was nice that you acknowledged Lisa P with a little smiley face. I remember reading that bit. It was nice. Oh, she's my dear friend and I've got a lot to be grateful to her for. So, yeah, thanks, Lisa. <laughs> so I had visions of you sort of, you know, when you were sort of making essential oils in maybe your kitchen or your bath and then at some point you would have had to said, right, I need a factory or a warehouse. So what was that like? Well, the the um, the little formulation um, uh, foirees in my home were mainly for my friends. Yeah. I, I never took that to the market, and I because that for, for a very good reason. When I started making products uh, in my in my own clinic. I took it immediately to a compounding chemist. Yeah. Um, I knew that Australia is still an unregulated industry, which is quite scary, and I wanted to bring the safest products to the market. It cost me a lot more in the early days, but having it made in a TGA compounding lab um, meant that I had the best, most efficacious products. Um, I soon was, be able to, was able to have my own lab in a few years after that. But, um, in fact, the, the lady that did my compounding in South Melbourne, we're still friends to this day, Marie. So she was a great starting point. Um, but I think you know, we have to realise that the industry, even though it's unregulated, we still have to spend that money and, and get the right products to the market at the start. Mm. Yeah. What did the market look like back then? I mean, how has it changed in, in the last 15 years? I mean, obviously, lots of things are available online now. There's probably more choice. But what did it look like then and, and what were you competing with? Uh, a lot less competition back then, let me tell you. it was. Um, I wouldn't say it was easier because I was a virtually a one-man band but um, there was less high-level actives. There was only a few coming up. Coming up. Um, I think, uh, obviously, online wasn't a thing at all. Um, and, and there was no uh, clean beauty. I think coming up with the clean science, actually I paid that many years ago, um, I had no competition because it was either completely natural and organic or the other. Mm. or cosmeceuticals and I was able to say well I'm a scientist I want the best scientific evidence-based ingredients but I also want 
the safest. So I thought, why can't I have both? It was really hard. It's it's actually quite challenging getting ingredients that, that fit that profile, but I was determined and quite tenacious. So I think back then um, that was that was a unique selling point. Um, but yeah, it wasn't as competitive back then for sure. I was curious when you're sort of moving through these stages of your business, did you ever sit down at any point and put together a business plan? I mean, I know I've had to do a few over the years for, for various reasons and I've always found it quite arduous because I know in my mind what I have to do, but when you go into the bank for funding or or what have you, um, people want to see what you've got in your head put down in paper. Did you ever go, have you ever gone through that process before? I, I've been forced to, and I'm not. Must I must admit, I'm I'm very I'm more the creative, and I like the, I'm a big yes. picture girl. Thank God I've got yeah. my team to to get me to focus on the details. And in fact, I did. I went away um, on a on a sort of a a, a mission to to work out my five year plan with my general manager a few years ago, and we just chucked ourselves away and we worked out look five year I think five year plans are ridiculous I'll just say that right now because yeah. everything changes especially now we've yeah. got exponential growth <laughs> in the internet yes. I think we're lucky if we can have a six month plan but we had a broad plan and yeah. we actually achieved a lot of what we said we would so I think you have to have your overarching broad plans but don't be too hard on yourself if you don't reach them in the in the time span and be flexible you have to say yeah. you have to be open to those forks in the roads yeah pandemics and bushfires right. happen they, they can screw things up occasionally <laughs> yes yes exactly <laughs> I think you sort of alluded to an interesting point when it comes to business, which is that, um, and I guess I sort of see myself similar mindset to you, like big picture, creative, you know, relationships, making deals happen, seeing gaps in the market, all those sorts of things. Mm. But um, recognizing where your strengths are and where your weaknesses are and being, I know there's that sort of that saying, you know, make your weaknesses your strengths. And that's great. And, you know, you can work on your weaknesses, but at some point you have to realize what your gifts are and what, what mm-hmm. your, nat- your natural inclinations. And I think you alluded to that saying that you're surrounding yourself with people that complement your skill set. I think that's what you were trying to say, you know, what you were alluding to, that finding those people that can be, um, that can shore up your weaknesses or the people that are strong in areas that you're not. And it seems to be quite important when, you, when you're working with a business is having that team around you. Absolutely. And um, Richard Branson is my inspiration. I absolutely yeah. love that man. And, and I've read all his books from cover to cover. And he said, surround yourself with people who are smarter than you. Mm, Best yeah. bit of advice I ever had. There are yeah. so many people I can look around me right now and see all these people who are so much smarter than I am. And I am so blessed to have them in my life. I know my, yeah. I know my strengths. I actually know my weaknesses really well. And you know what? Yeah. I'd rather hone the strengths than try and yeah. work on the weaknesses. Um, you know, in terms of, of business, I don't want to be yeah. an accountant. I'm not good at that. Why would I want yeah. to be an accountant if, if I've got an amazing yeah. person with me? So I think we need to set, delegate and 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 know our know our strengths. Well, unfortunately, yeah. David's got me, and I've got David. So sorry, mate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think I think you two are a formidable pair. <laughs> well, what's that um, saying? If you're the smartest person in the room, it's time to change rooms. <laughs> so, yeah. true, 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 true. <laughs> so, Terry, going back to sort of um, synergy, what, what can you just explain the skincare market to us? I had a great example of this just the other day. I went to Westwood with my wife and we were just pottering around. We wandered into Mecca and she just saw something that was greatly marketed and she said, Oh, I want to try this one because I've been looking for a new, you know, eye cream or whatever it was. And I was like, Come on, you obviously haven't been listening to the podcast because, you know, <laughs> There's a lot of fluff around skincare and branding and marketing and smell and how things feel, but that's not really how we should be 
thinking about the products. But can you just and, give uh, people so a, a guide to how they basically choose their skincare? I would love to empower um, people to be able to read labels. Mm. I think that's a really, and, and in fact, that was the favourite chapter in my book is how to decipher your, your bathroom cabinet. Um, I think there's so much money spent on what's surrounding the product and not the product itself. You know, it's the beautiful models. It's the the glamorous women in the department stores with their spiel. And a lot of it is is just a promise in a jar, you know, talking about collagen in skincare, the biggest load of rubbish ever, that collagen is somehow going to get through your cells into your dermis and and, and cause your skin to be firmer is the biggest load of rubbish. But people believe that, not because they're stupid, but because they haven't been given the truth. And and in many ways that's my, my book is, you know, is, talks about that, but I just wanted to, I wanted to demystify this industry, and I think it's it's not fair. These are smart women and men, and they need to be given the facts. Yeah. So, yeah. so why are there so many products on the market, and you know, why are they all so successful? Apparently, I think that um, there's there are a lot of products, but they've got different needs for different people, and probably some people love the elegance of a product, and that's okay if that's what they want. If that's if somebody wants something that feels amazing, that smells like you're running through a field of, of tuberoses, whatever, that's great for them. But some women want stuff that actually packs a punch and will make a difference to their skin. So we, the women need to know what they what they can what will work for them and what they want, and and. For me, it's effectiveness. For some, it's elegance. Um, I think you need to be able to mix the two, but effectiveness for me is more important. Sorry mm. to sort of labour this point, but you know, like you go into a shop and they'll give you a little tester or whatever. Mm. And mm-hmm. the first thing that I see most people do, and David's joked about this a few times, is you sort of rub it on the back it. of your hand, give it a little smell. And most people go, oh, that's nice. I'm going to mm. buy this one. And it's like, well, <laughs> how have you made that decision? Because you rubbed it on the back of your hand oh, and smelled it. I know. And I, I actually don't like samples. Um, as, as an owner of a business, I, I it always bothers me. We, we do give away samples, but it's like how can you possibly judge the efficacy yeah. of this product with a little, four, you know, two by two centimetre square sample? Yeah. But it, it's it's about that experience. Um, and skincare is often so experiential um, and and we have to actually educate the consumer. It's more, it's more than the experience. It's about the long-term effects. Um, and, yeah, sampling is, is great, but something that smells good isn't necessarily going to be good for you conversely i made a product many years ago for calming skin um it was all the ingredients stacked up the clinical data stacked up it worked nobody bought it you know why because it looked like baby poo and didn't smell great yeah. <laughs> it did it was and that was a great, another one of my great planner mistakes it learned me a lesson taught me a lesson um it has to be elegant as well with the yes. minute I, I i put some of the actives in fix the smell fix the texture it went up it walked off the shelf but yeah it has to be that combination but primarily mm. it has to work well i think I, um i've spoken about this in the podcast before it's just understanding um, the psychology of people is that we make decisions based on emotion. And when yes. you're talking about emotion, it's, you know, how those decisions interact with your with your senses, look, sight, smell, touch, all that sort of stuff. Yep. So you've made a decision based on an emotion and then you'll try and justify it with a lot with logic. Yes. Um, and sometimes I, I do the that two all the time. Marry. 
<laughs> yeah. You know, like for example, for a guy, I want to buy a car. Okay, cool. I'm falling in love with this car. And then I'm trying to justify my, the reasons to myself as to why I need to have that car. It's got great fuel economy. It's going to fit in my garage. It's going to be able to fit all the things that I need to carry. So it's, it's really the same process when you're looking at skincare is you don't even realize you've made an emotional decision, which is why people smell they look at the packaging, all those sorts of intangible um, things that then lead to you then work using your logic to justify why you should purchase it. Would you, would you agree with that or do you I think would, that absolutely. I'm... Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's, it, there's, there's, a, there's a huge um, pull push between our brains saying, um, oh, I'm, I'm emotionally drawn to this to this choice or I should I should, I should buy this product. And it's, it's whether it's a car or a skincare product um, we have to balance that um, and even even when I'm formulating I may be drawn towards a particular essential oil I have my preferences um, yeah. and my lab manager and my marketing team may say oh yeah I'll give you an example sea buckthorn oil is a very earthy smelling oil it's fantastic it was used um, for the Russian cosmonauts to 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 help heal radiation burns it's wow. a beautiful ingredient but it smells incredibly earthy I personally don't love the smell of it and we're trying to incorporate it in a product and, and we're trying to balance the smell versus the efficacy. So I'm even I'm having that same problem today. So it's it's not it's not just for consumers. Yeah. It's hard to fight it's far, far to fight human psyche. You, like our, our instinctual programming, it's hard to fight that. Exactly. Yeah. You obviously work with um, clinics and medispas, doctors and and derms and whoever. How do you or how do we explain to our patients that skincare is as much as as important as injectables or lasers or devices? I, f- I find that a lot of my patients sort of don't want to invest in it. It's t- it takes too long. It's too difficult and too confusing. So how do you sort of, um, I guess as a company, sort of get that into clinics and sort of um, get patients onto, onto skincare? That's, a, that's such an important question and I liken looking after our skin as a multi-layered approach. It's, it's not just about one thing. It's like it's nutrition. It's, it's looking after ourselves internally. The injectables, I can't mimic the results of filler with skincare. We cannot mm. do that. So that's one facet of aesthetics. But I say skincare is almost like your insurance policy. You're having these beautiful treatments. You're having, uh, you know, IPL or possibly Fraxel and injectables. If you want those results to be maintained, you've got to use a, a really good skincare regimen. And the most important thing, don't even go there unless you're using a good sunscreen because all that will just go down <laughs> yeah. the drain if you're sun damaged. So and, and if, yeah, yeah, if these patients come in and say, uh, you know, I want I want some filler, I want some Botox, I want to go under laser, but I'm going to go out in the sun and it's all good and I'm just going to use uh, brand X from the supermarket, see you later. I'd say, you know what, maybe you should go elsewhere because it's not going to work. You're going to come yeah. back in five mm. years' time and look like a train wreck. So um, we need to, it really needs to be a multi-layered approach. Um, you just touched on sunscreen, and I, I had this question, but um, I didn't. We sort of uh, got past it, and I thought it wasn't relevant to ask it. But you brought up skincare again, so I'll ask it. Mm-hmm. Um, can you demystify the whole SPF thing to me? Because as someone that's been in the industry for fifteen years myself, I really don't fully understand SPF ten, twenty, and all of a sudden they got SPF fifty. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know, over hundreds coming out soon. <laughs> like how how yeah. does it all work, and what does it actually mean in terms of you know? what you can do in terms of time in the sun. I think we've covered it before a little while ago with Davin, but it's always good to have a refresher and hear it from your perspective as well. Okay. So the word sun protection factor or SPF is simply an equation, okay? It's right. how long it takes you to burn with the top 
product on divided by how long it takes you to burn completely unprotected. So a sun protection factor of 15 means it takes you 15 times longer to burn with that product on than if you didn't have it on. So it's a multiple, okay? Sometimes, but it's not necessarily exponential either. So this is the other problem. We find that, say, an SPF of 100, which only measures you against burning too, David, this is really important, SPF is only a measure of UVB protection, not Mm, UVA, and that's the burning rays. And that's like your first trigger, oh, my God, my skin's under trauma. But UVA goes deeper, deeper, deeper into the dermis and is quite insidious and we can't see the UVA damage. So an SPF has nothing to do with that. So my issue is people using an SPF 100, and my daughter actually went out the other day to the beach with an SPF 50 and got burnt because she went in the water, dried herself off with a towel and didn't reapply after three hours because she thought, oh, I have an SPF 50, mum. What was the?" And it's like, God, you haven't been listening to me. Anyway, your kids never listen. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so this is its so true, isn't it? Anyway, the, the whole thing is UVA is as important as UVB. So people, particularly in the states where they're getting these mega high SPFs of 100, get themselves lulled into a false sense of security, think they can stay out all day, where in fact they, they should be using a lower SPF, in my opinion, even a 30, and uh, and, and reapplying because they, they'll, they won't feel like they've got that, that mega level. Meanwhile, UVA is getting in, and that also causes skin cancer, and people think that SPF is the be-all and end-all. So we need to think, broad spectrum they're the keywords not just spf we need to see that's uva and uvb protective but spf is just an equation i'm gonna show my naivety here and i don't know your full <laughs> product range but d- does your um skin creams do they have all of them S- spf or some of them or do you do a specific sun cream well, we have um, our makeup um, has high SPF. Um, we have um, SPF forty in our in our makeup, yeah. um, which is the mineral whip. I actually have that on at the moment, um, and that is a very very high protective um, UVA and UVB protector, and it's also blue light protective because we've oh, got right. the iron oxides which protect from um, blue light causing pigmentation. Now the Uber Zinc, which is my my twenty one percent zinc oxide moisturizer. Because we're not a TGA lab yet, um, we're not allowed to put anything above an SPF 15 legally. Mm-hmm. So even though um, it is um, verbally coming out as over the SPF 15, we're only allowed to put a 15 on it um, in Australia. So um, you can look, compare other SPF, other 21% zinc oxides and do the maths, but um, at this point we're only allowed to put a 15 on our Uber zinc. Fair but we right. can put higher on our makeup. And are you sort of more inclined to use like a physical blocker? You sort of alluded to the zinc there. Do you use that as, as a as a above, like sorry, in preference of a chemical blocker? I always have. Use, I always have. Yeah. I look. I have a preference because I know zinc oxide is a natural anti-inflammatory. It's also a physical block, so we know that if we rub our faces, we have to reapply it. Um, at the moment, um, look, I'm not close to the organic or chemical sunscreens in the future, um, but I'm just looking at safety profiles. So far, the safety profile um, in terms of even even our environment isn't stacking up with me as a scientist. Um, it's not to say that there is any sunscreens better than none, so I'm not saying don't use it, but I'm looking for in the in the future an organic sunscreen that we can use. But at the moment, zinc oxide's the hero for me. You can see why uh, skincare is so confusing, isn't it? I mean, we, we must have spoken about this a hundred times, David, and we're still yeah. <laughs> kind of asking yeah. the same questions over and over yeah. again. So yeah. 
for the layperson who who may go to you know a, a clinic that stocks you know multiple ranges, what 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 should they be looking for, and and how are they going to get a proper diagnosis of what they need? That's really the key, isn't it? Well, it, that also comes down to the clinician and and the doctor doing yeah. the consultation and really understanding. And it's not necessarily about what um, what the client thinks they need, but yes. it, as as a specialist, what we believe they they do need. Um, definitely, sunscreen is top of the tree. Okay, and and there are many ranges out there. There are many good ranges out there, especially within within the medical realm. Also, um, vitamin A in the form of, I believe, retinol or this new player on the market, which I love, HPR, hydroxypanacolone retinoate. Um, It's it's amazing. It has a direct interaction with the retinoid receptors like retinoic acid, unlike the other derivatives that have to be broken down metabolically. So this is my, this is to me the king of non-prescription retinoids now, HPR. Um, So vitamin A, because it balances all the skin processes and turnover and collagen. Vitamin B, my favourite ingredient. If I if I <laughs> you know go overseas and I run out of that, I freak out. Vitamin B three, and also you need an antioxidant, and I love L-ascorbic acid. That's my favourite. Um, uh, so vitamin C, and so ABC and sunscreen, and so they're they're kind of like your all star key players, and then you've got your support <laughs> act. You've got your ones on the bench that are needed at certain times for if you've got rosacea, dermatitis, acne, or aging. You've got your specifics that surround that, but ABC sunscreen are your core, and most ranges have good antioxidants and good sunscreens and a form of A and B as well. Mm. So I know you you alluded to um that chapter in your book which tells people how to look at a label and, and understand it but for i guess people listening right now that hopefully going to go and buy your book um can you give us just a little bit of a, a summary of what the, like what people should be looking for when they turn grab a label like grab a product off the shelf and look at the label and trying to ascertain whether it's right for them or not or whether it's a rubbish product or not <laughs> Well, I think understanding sometimes the levels of, of ingredients needed, I'll just give you one example that shocked me. I was doing a, 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 um, a talk at um, Stephen Lewis conference last year, uh, the aesthetics conference, and, and we were, he asked me to do a talk on prescription versus cosmeceutical versus um, supermarket retinoids. And I thought, okay, so I'm going to go to my local supermarket in Melbourne. So I went to Woolies and I picked up a thing called retinol mask. And I thought, okay, I'm going to do a quick reverse engineer of the back of the label here. And, of course, water's usually the top one. Don't be scared of water being number one. And I'm looking, it said retinol mask. I'm looking, retinol, 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 retinol. There was no retinol. The ACCC would have a field day with this product. Wow. It, it wasn't <laughs> even in the product. I remember it watching was, your talk. I was right at the front. Oh, oh, are you? Yeah, yes. I was just, I, I was, was cheering you up. Yay, thanks, Jack. <laughs> um, but, and, and it was retinal palmitate, which is the, one of the older forms. It's still okay at storage. But you know what? You need to say, what, what are they claiming here? Let's look at the back of the, of the product and see. Um, also, if you'll see things like um, preservatives, which, are, you know, often you'll see phenoxyethanol and parabens, which are not my favourites, but they're there, um, they really should be down the bottom. You shouldn't have them in the middle. Um, look, there's... There's positions when we should see our ingredients and we know I can tell when when an ingredient list is shonky within a minute by looking at it because I know where all these ingredients should be positioned on the label. Um, But also don't be scared of things like peptides, which can be amazing for for fine lines and wrinkles or pigmentation. The dosage is important. So you may be recommended with the clinical data to only use one or even half a percent in your product. Mm. So if it's it's down at the bottom 
20% or bottom third, it's okay because the dosage might be still efficacious. Um, and the other thing we need to remember is anything that's 1% or lower in a product can be listed in any order and there's a lot of ingredients that are 1% or lower. And so a lot of um, companies will try and put the ones that sound better up higher. Mm. Um, so it's just it's a lot of marketing involved. But you, the other thing that I'm really big on is using the international nomenclature of ingredients or the INCI, I-N-C-I name, not the common name, and um, that's very important. Then you can look it up online and see what these ingredients actually are. Mm. So, Gundam, I was just going to I was just going to say that it's crazy that um, you know skincare is such a huge industry and there's you know, thousands and thousands of products and it seems that these companies can use all sorts of marketing tricks and ploys to convince people to buy their products. Yet Jake, um, that's injecting someone with a Schedule Four medication, can't put something on his website to talk about the exact product that he's using. It seems like you, as a doctor, in- injecting scheduled medications are so regulated about trying to educate your clients. Yet mm. skincare, people can just basically get away with murder. <laughs> it seems and- crazy. Um, it's it's it is and and you know you're not even exaggerating. I, I went to a market in Byron Bay about four years ago, and there was a whole stand saying no preservative moisturizer. Now I'm sorry, the minute you have water in a product, it is it is chemistry 101. You have to preserve it. Yeah. And these people could end up with major infections, staph infections. They could lose their vision if they're using a product from. And I'm sorry, they sh- you do not buy products at these markets because they are made in backyards and they are made in garages and they're not chemists and they're not scientists. Um, I, I'm really big on accreditation and many years ago we underwent ISO accreditation and so we can manufacture on a global scale. Um, but you have to be with a company and there's many out there that are reputable that have those standards. Yeah, that's great advice. So what do we mean by medical grade or cosmeceutical versus, you know, something that you can buy over the counter? Like what, what is the difference? I think, well, medical grade is S4. So medical grade is, um, so obviously you'd have Schedule 4 drugs. Cosmeceutical grades can obviously be sold in medical. We, yeah. You know, we have a range for, for, for doctors only, which we don't sell at the salons and, and, and medispas, mm. which is slightly stronger. Um, in my opinion, I think cosmeceutical grade will be more evidence-based. There'll be a lot of backing behind the products um, and the science will have to stack up. Um, a lot of the products that you can buy elsewhere, you know, they may still have science that stacks up, but it's it's um, the companies need to be able to tell their clients and their customers that the, the clinical data that supports what they put in their products at what level. The dosage is very important. Um, for example, uh, in some of the um, the, the smaller um, department stores, maybe they've made a product and they've the, the clinical the dose for an effective change might be four percent of this particular active ingredient. Let's call it a peptide. You have to put four percent to reduce pigmentation by thirty percent according to the clinical data. So, as as ethical formulators, we would put in a minimum of four percent in our products. But some products, some companies may say, let's put in one percent and just say it's there because this ingredient's meant to be amazing, mm. and you can but you won't have the data to support the results. So at the end of the day, you have to sleep straight in bed. And that's why Mm. people's bathroom drawers are full of thousands of creams that they've bought from duty-frees and holidays and random shops, and none of them are clearly effective. Otherwise, you wouldn't be accumulating more and more creams. That's right. What do you think the future holds for skincare? I mean, we're starting to learn more and more about stem cells, people using like CBD extracts in there, um, skincare that's tailored to specific skin types. Um, 
where do you think it's going? What do you think the future holds? I think it's really exciting, but we have to be careful that we don't um, work too fast. Um, I think you know the internet. Well, I've just seen how AI is is growing exponentially. Yeah. We need to we need to actually have a measured approach with putting things on human skin and the human body. I've, I've personally got a concern with with um, non autologous stem cells in skincare because it can cause hyperproliferation of abnormal cells. Mm. Um, great for great for normal cells. You'll you'll feel wonderful, but if you got a simmering BCC or even worse still a, a malignant melanoma we don't want that taking off so I'm, I'm very measured and guarded with stem cells on in skincare um uh, sorry growth factors I should say stem cells are too big to get through the cells anyway um uh, CBD I think is exciting um I would love to see more research and more accessibility for CBD in skincare it's a wonderful anti-inflammatory um we've just got to keep the THC levels low so people don't get too high and want to put in their mouths but <laughs> It's always, it's always enticing, but, but you know, I, I think I think CBD is a fantastic ingredient, and I'd really like to explore that. Yeah, well, absolutely. just some of the people who may not have come across CBD, can you just explain what it is and 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 why or how it would be incorporated? Well, the the actual ingredient is all comes from the hemp seed plant. Yeah. So there's two parts. You can get the hemp seeds, um, but also the the part the, the cannabinoids from the from the um, leaves and the flowers, and that's that's the more, in my opinion, efficacious part of the plant. Yeah. Um, so you'll find hemp seed products quite prolific, but the actual CBD from the flowers and the, and the leaves often have levels of THC. So um, if when you remove the THC, which is the hallucinogenic or the, or the, um, the uh, mood-altering part of the plant, uh, it's quite legal. Mm. And you can you can use that in skincare, but it's got to be very, very low. I think it's less than point, is it 0.3%, less under that to be able to pass. And some of that is quite challenging to procure at the moment mm. in Australia. But watch this space because I'd love to put in some of my products. Yeah, right. Another exclusive. <laughs> We're hitting the exclusives today. You are. <laughs> so your book um, came out on November 1. Very exciting. Um yeah. Tell us what it, what is it all about? I mean, I know that writing a book can be quite um, draining on the soul. It takes a long time. You get really good at editing and removing extra words that you didn't realize you didn't need in there. So just give us like, I guess, just the, the five minute sort of pitch on your book and tell us what it's all about. Well, okay. The five minute pitch. Well, <laughs> I actually <laughs> longer. wanted- That's I, fine. All right. I was, I was, I think there was a book in me for a long time. Uh, I've, yeah. I've been reading, writing articles for, for various publications, more for, for, for you guys and for my, my my stockers, but I wanted to get something to the end consumer that was really easy to to understand. I had a background in teaching as well, so I love those aha light bulb moments where I could explain something quite complicated and go, oh, I get it. So I wanted to do that in a book. Also, I was really frustrated with all that white noise and mythology out there about ingredients that just didn't work or urban myths that were being propagated online. And I just had to get it out in a book. Um, and it was something that I thought everybody should have, um, people who are ready to take that next step into skincare. Um, and it's also the really important thing for me was to be, it had to be brand agnostic. I even wanted my competitor and I uh, to be able to give it to their customer and say, here's mm -hmm. a book on skin. I've got some really good friends in the industry who are competitors. I'd be happy to say, you know what, give this book to, you, to, your, to your clients. Um, it cuts through the hype. And the first section is all general about 
what is skin? What does it mean? Because people, you know, say I want to help my skin. If they understand the structure of the skin, if they understand how ingredients work and the main ingredients to use, they can make better choices. And the second half is all the different skin concerns. So you can dip into that section as you need it. So from pregnancy or acne or menopausal skin. So I'd like to say there's something in that book for everybody, but it's also really honest and it's really quirky because I think it sort of brings out my personality a bit. I'd like my my girlfriend said it was like I was talking to them. It was it didn't feel like yeah. they were reading a textbook. So yeah, yeah. Honestly, I have to say it, it's it's a beautifully sort of written and styled book. I like the font. I like the little quirky you know diagrams and stuff. So it's it's really easy Thanks, to read. Jay. And Thank actually, my, you. it was sort of on my kitchen. Um, sort of uh, side this morning, my wife came down. She's like, she said, oh, wh- what's this? And she was flicking through it and she's like, I'm going to read this. Like, it's just, e- oh, it's very yeah. eye-catching. So, well done you. I think oh, it was good. thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Jake. Oh, thanks. Um, how long did it take you? I'm it curious. took me, it, it took me nine months. Okay, so yeah. that's why I call it my third child because it was like a pregnancy. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I looked online, okay, this is a, it's, it's, a, it's a, you know, it's, it's nonfiction. How long is the average nonfiction book? So I Googled it and it was about 60,000 words. So I thought, okay, I yeah. want to start this book in January yeah. and finish it in August. So it worked out at 333 words a day, less a day off. And this yeah. is what I'm like. I'm, I'm a little bit methodical and, and weird. Yeah. Um, so I said to my team every morning between 9 and 11.30, please don't disturb me. And I, mm. and I have in my Google calendar Terry writing. Yeah. And I actually, yeah, some days I'd write 600 words. Some days I'd only write 200, but I got through it in, in ahead of schedule. But I think you, you have to treat it like brushing your teeth. It's part of your schedule. You cannot deviate because once you get out of the, 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 the synchronicity of it, um, you'll lose the flow. So it was really important mm. to stay on track. Did you and ever get any writer's block? I've never written a book. I know David has. <laughs> yeah. Um, I did in a couple of chapters um, because I found um, describing inflammation was really hard to um, an end user because it's really complicated because, again, mm. it involves yeah. the immune system. That was the, hard, mm-hmm. the hardest chapter um, cerebrally for me. and But the hardest chapter emotionally was Chapter 1 because I had to talk about my story and a lot about mm. my background. But I thought that was important because you have to be a little bit vulnerable sometimes and yeah. I, I kind of bared my soul and that was a bit tricky, but I did it. Mm. It was very good. Is it really insightful, and it sort of builds up to where you are today? So I thought it was great. Thank you. Where can people get it from? It's called Skin Formation, one word: A Clean yep. Science Guide to Beautiful Skin, and you can get it on Amazon and Booktopia and all good bookstores around Australia. So it's sort of pretty much everywhere. But Booktopia is probably the best way to get it. Yeah. Have you yeah. thought about doing um, an audio version? There's a lot of people now starting to do audio versions and they're narrating them themselves. It's quite an interesting um, sort of trend that's starting to happen because a lot of people are driving and they don't have time to read, mm. but they might want to listen to or, you know, on their commute to and from work, what have you. Have you thought about doing that as well? Well, my publisher Wiley and I are still talking about that at the moment, but it's yep. a bit it's a bit of a task doing an audio book. And <laughs> yeah. I have to yeah. audition for it. I don't know if I'll get the gig. Oh wow. But it would be <laughs> I'd love wow. to. But it would no, it would be fun. And, and I love audio books too, because we're all of us are so time poor. Uh, my favorite yep. things, and I'm not just saying this, are audio books and podcasts at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. And here you are. 
Here, well, here I am. <laughs> on officially, we're in the top 10 of Australia's medical podcasts now. So there we go. Well done, you. Not surprised. I remember when we first met at Cosmeticon, I knew you guys were onto something. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Thanks, Terry. So um, if people want to sort of reach out to either yourself, your company, look at your products, purchase your products, where do they go? And, um, and what does that process look like? Well, definitely go online uh, to SynergySkin.com um, and if you're interested in, in stocking the products, we can get you in touch with our state BDMs. Um, and, yeah, so and we've also got a website to look at um, purchasing the book or go to Booktopia. But definitely yeah. I, would ring, I would ring head office and uh, talk to our wonderful customer service team. Perfect. Well, thank Excellent. you so much for your time, Terry. It, it took us uh, since March to now to finally get I this know, organized. Right? It's been cra- um, a crazy ride, but we're yeah. here. But uh, it's a pleasure to have you and thanks for, for sharing all of your uh, knowledge. It's been fascinating. And uh, hopefully we'll catch up in person soon, maybe at Cosmeticon or another conference, hopefully when we're allowed to see each other again. Absolutely. Yeah, look forward, forward to, it. to it. Thank you so much, guys. And guys, we've got an exclusive offer for you. Terry has generously offered 15% off her new book, Skin Formation. If you head to SynergySkin.com and in the search bar type in Skin Formation, click on the book, and then at the checkout, use the code IASKINFO, all in one word. That's I-A-S-K-I-N-F-O at the checkout, and that will apply your discount. Enjoy. For our latest news, upcoming guests and episode topics, follow us on Instagram at inside underscore aesthetics. During the week before every recording, look out for our Instagram stories as we'll give you the opportunity to submit your questions to our guests and get a shout out. You can also DM us for any other information, suggestions or guest requests.